Hi, I'm Jillian Swinford. And I'm Haley Brolison. And this is Mother Nature Will Kill You. A podcast about the most horrific tragedies and the most triumphant survival stories that the wilderness can provide. So grab your backpack and maybe a bottle of wine and let's go on a wild ride into the unknown. Walking down this road I go, but I am going alone, running far, far from home, till I am skin and bone. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> How are you? I am as good as I can be right now. I'm exhausted, but we have coffee, so it's fine. Yes. I uh, made fine. a little bastardized pumpkin spice. It's not a latte because I don't know how to make lattes. Corey's the only one who knows how to make lattes. Yeah. But I uh, threw some caramel and uh, pumpkin spice seasoning in my coffee. I love that. <laughs> I love that for you guys. Yes. <laughs> I, um, I'm i just hitting the good old Dunkin' Hazelnut coffee. There you go. Yeah. I'm pretty sure this is actually our Maui coffee. I don't, I'm not sure. Oh, nice. But it's like really strong. Yeah. But I needed a little bit of fall in my life today. That's fair. I, uh, I've been seeing a lot of... Um, like fall photos on Instagram yeah, and it makes me want to go home real bad. It makes me so (laughs) sad. This is the worst part for me about living in Texas is that I do not get fall and fall is because I'm a, you know, dumb white girl, basic white girl. It is my favorite season. And not only though, because I'm like, Oh, falling leaves and pumpkin spice because Mm -hmm. I'm a spooky bitch and I love spooky season. (laughs) Yeah so it just makes me so sad that I can't have that like a fall crisp chill you know it's still yeah. you know but instead instead down here we get fucking hurricanes dude did you see that there's like two more cells forming off the coast of Africa right now yeah as long as and know- like in the next 48 hours they're like scheduled yeah. to or forecasted to turn into hurricanes yeah as long as they don't hit me or Give me until Saturday to fucking move into my new house. Yeah, I uh, I really don't want to put up hurricane shutters. We've been doing mm. so well with like avoiding that. Yeah, I just I hope really it, don't. I just hope it doesn't come towards us because I really need to get moved into this freaking house. Yeah, I. Gosh, how did you guys fare with the last one? I was watching uh, your. Facebook stories. So my mom asked about you. First of all, she was like, "How's Jillian doing?" Oh, and sweet. I was like, 
Yeah, I was like, I think she's okay. Like, I saw her Facebook stories and they were funny. So she seems to be in good spirits about it. And then that's when I texted you just to make sure, like, everything was all good. Um, yeah. But she, yeah, I, I was telling her about your one Facebook story that had the bird sitting, like, on a perch. And you're like, oh, sustained 50 miles an hour winds. And, like, the bird is just hanging out. Yeah. Like, it's a breezy day. He's loving life. Well, because in that section of our house was kind of, like, actually sheltered from the full blast of the wind oh okay so that's probably why he was hanging out I hope he like went under our carport or something because I'm like poor thing I'm not about to bring a dove into my house and I don't think I just thought it was so funny it looked so (laughs) content just staying there and like the winds are like you see trees in the background (laughs) are like halfway bent over (laughs) just so happy big chilling yeah yeah so um we had a tree go down an entire tree that's insane (laughs) And I'm like, and this is at the house we're living in now. We're moving next, literally next week. We're not going to be here anymore. And I was like, well, at least I don't have to deal with the yeah. tree. Not my property, not my problem. <laughs> yeah. So I heard it crack around, I don't want to say like eight or nine o'clock at night. And okay. Corey heard it too. And he was like, wow, that's a really big thunder crack. And I was like, Mm. that's like a tree <laughs> nope that was a tree and then I looked around the house and looked at the porch and I was like well there's no damage so I'm just not gonna worry about it right now. uh-huh yes just out of sight out of mind oh, all then, that matters yeah and then so it really picked up around like nine o'clock and we lost power around then which we were kind of expecting to lose power but we weren't expecting the intensity um because mm-hmm. it turned into a uh, category one hurricane it's just supposed to be just a tropical storm which is why we yeah. stayed. and it turned into a category one hurricane it was supposed to make landfall literally on top of us <laughs> and i was like oh fuck but it actually like just hugged the coast and kept going and didn't make landfall um until like I don't know. It was about an hour away from our house, but I mean, we obviously Eek. still got like a significant amount of wind and it was uh, probably the most intense wind I've experienced in a hurricane. It looked pretty strong. Yeah. Cause I've never been like in the eye of a hurricane before basically. So that was yeah. a, new, a new experience for me. Um, yeah. And uh, so around like, First of all, we had water coming in through one of the windows, like big time. So we had to deal oh, with that. That's always fun. Um, so we used some flex seal um, to tape up the window. Nice. So uh, sponsor us, flex seal. Right. <laughs> and then um, I started hearing these really loud banging noise. And I was like, oh, fuck. So I go outside and there's like this lattice work on the side of our carport for some fucking reason. Mm-hmm. And it's like slamming up. It came loose and it's like slamming up against the house. I was like, we have to go take care of it. So it doesn't break a window. And so we're going out in like the peak wind conditions (laughs) with a drill to try to drill it back in. Because the other side wouldn't come out. It was really stuck in there. We couldn't just rip it out. Mm -hmm. So we were going out there with a drill all of a sudden I'm getting hit by shingles and I'm like screaming and Corey's like, just hold it. Just hold it. Oh my goodness. You're like, I'm trying. I was like, this is why you're not supposed to go out in a hurricane. Yes. Um, but we didn't get hurt or anything. Um, and so we didn't have power for like 
two days. So we stayed at our friend's house and we actually used the day because we were off work. We had emergency leave. We used the day to actually move stuff to our other house because that house had power, but we don't have our beds there yet because we need a U-Haul for that. And that's not going to happen. So, so it was like a whole thing. We moved our food over there. So we didn't like lose any of our food or anything. Um, Good. But it was, it was more than we expected and more than we wanted to deal with on top of being right smack dab in the middle of a move, you know? Yeah. yeah. And Dude, then, yeah. I told you how I moved down here in the middle of Dorian, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, God. Yeah. No, so I totally understand what you guys are going through and it sucks. Yeah, it does. And it's like, then we had two houses to worry about. So we're like, well, if there's damage at the other house, like that might prevent us from moving in. Like if there's yeah. any kind of significant damage, there wasn't. So, good. but like, <laughs> that's all I was thinking at night. I was like, oh, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want that. No. So, um, so yeah, another, why I feel like we keep coming up with little survival stories. <laughs> right. Every week we uh, seem to, it was you with the bear in Alaska me diving in Maui like (laughs) I know seriously I uh almost had a survival story this week but tell me more thankfully it was all good oh no it's nothing crazy I was just transporting lionfish for our education team and I like touched the bag and I was trying to put the bag in the freezer and I got spined and I like it was like a quick (laughs) oh my god I know and it was like a quick poke and I was like holy shit and like I just like immediately like took my hand off the bag and dropped it uh-huh. and it didn't like puncture me too deep it was like a pinprick and mm-hmm. I was like I started to get nervous like yeah I, think, I was like my body was reacting from like being nervous more than like reacting from like the being spined yeah and um obviously I'm fine so it wasn't one of the venomous spines but oh, yeah cl- close call on that one <laughs> holy shit because I've I've heard that that pain is like unbearable yeah and so I started googling I was googling and texting my friends I was like guys like when will I know if I'm good or not (laughs) (laughs) I was like how long does it take I don't know what's going on like I feel like nervous and sweaty now but I think it's just because I'm clammy and nervous and I don't know like yeah I started freaking out a little bit um but then I, I would, texted our education absolutely. team and I was like hey like put the lionfish in your freezer for you but just FYI be careful <laughs> with the bags because uh <laughs> I definitely had a close call oh my god that's terrifying yeah I yeah. remember when we worked at the aquarium the VLM which for you listeners, both Haley and I have worked in in different capacities, but not together, never really together, which was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, my uh, husband still says you were one of the best interns that we had. Thanks, <laughs> Corey. I appreciate that. Um, but I remember when we had to take them out of the tank one time, we had to use these special nets that the bottom was like a net material, but the entire sides are like this heavy duty, like PVC plastic. Yeah. Was it one of those like zookeepers? Yeah. And you had to like use like intent, really intense gloves to do it. And mm-hmm. that really stressed me out. <laughs> yeah. I was like the day that that happened, I had a r- really just like, busy time consuming annoying day because so it was one of those things where it was like Friday morning I got the lionfish and I drove two hours back to the office and then like put them in the freezer and then like got questionably spined and yeah out for a hot minute 
<laughs> and um, oh my god! <laughs> then, then that night was the welcome party, like redo for mm-hmm. the um, underwater music festival, and that was at the Lower Keys Chamber of Commerce. And so, like, I had to be there that night. So when I got questionably spined, I was like, "Dear Jesus, I literally do not have time." For this to happen to me right now, <laughs> like, I was like, "Why?" It's not convenient for my schedule. <laughs> it's not. I was like, "I cannot be getting fined right now and like going into like shock." It's well, I'm not- glad you oh, didn't. I know, me too, because I was already like a scramble to get staff to attend that welcome party. So. Yeah. I was like, Jesus Christ, this is just way too much. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I need to like go to bed. I'm way too tired. For this. Well, and the more your adrenaline is pumping, the more like the venom enters your bloodstream and stuff. So, right? you know, it's not, it's not good. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. That was, that was, that was my uh, Friday. Well, yeah. So uh, we both had a uh, little uh, near misses. Yes. This week. Cool. All right. Well, I actually have a um, a small little uh, survival adjacent interest story. Ooh, yes, tell this, and then I have a little um, PSA once you're done, which I'm pretty sure you probably know what I'm going to talk about. But do I? You probably do. When I start talking about it, you'll be like, "Oh yes, yes, good move." Don't get spined by a lionfish. <laughs> no, 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 no. Tell your story. <laughs> okay. Tell <your> story. <laughs> so um, we talk about caves pretty frequently on this podcast because yeah, it is caves, actually. <laughs> and terrifying and just I'm claustrophobic so I really want to talk about them all the time because I like talking about things that scare me but I don't like doing them mm-hmm. so this is kind of cave adjacent and almost more terrifying so apparently on a farm um, near Mexico City in the town of Puebla Mexico uh, there was a sinkhole that started forming. Ooh, sinkholes freak me out too. And this happened in July, um, but I think we're just kind of hearing about it. Or no, this happened in June 2021, but I think we're, I just am now seeing it because it's Mexican news, you know? Yeah. Um, so the sinkhole uh, started to form in late May in the field. And experts say that it was caused um, not by excessive water pumping, um, but by just the erosion of limestone. So sinkholes can form a couple of ways. One being if you sit on top of an aquifer and they're mm-hmm. drawing too much water out of the aquifer, this creates air, a negative space in between the uh, ground basically and the water and so there's no more support for the soil so then the soil starts to sink down basically yeah. create a hole um, the, and that's like a man-made sinkhole basically um, but the other way is how caves are formed which is water erodes the limestone and then you know if there's an air pocket underneath um, the ground at all will collapse. And so that's apparently how this one was formed. Okay. Um, so many residents in the Pueblo state uh, believe the sinkhole was the result of the excessive groundwater extraction by factories or water bottling plant in the area. Um, but the Mexico's National Water Commission said that this was a natural process of limestone being dissolved. Um, it said the water tables were stable and the aquifer was not over exploited. Um, but so 
this sinkhole just kind of kept growing through the, the throughout the months, basically. And mm-hmm. it's absolutely massive now. Um, so it's now uh, 50 foot deep um, to the water level. And then they think that it may be 150 foot deep in total. Yo, I just Googled this. It looks like a pond. <laughs> it does. It does look like a pond. Um, and now it's uh, over 400 feet across. So it's fucking huge. <laughs> what? And that you can see there's a little building basically yes. on the edge of this thing. And it's yes. like just continuing to grow. <laughs> oh, my God. This is wild. And Are so. going to move? Like. I would hope so. So this, this uh, sinkhole on the farm uh, has now grown larger than a football field and has swallowed a house. There was no one inside. Thank God. Oh my God. The house is gone. Um, It also trapped two dogs. um, Mm -hmm. And at first I was like, oh my gosh, it's so sad they died. But no, they were rescued after several days um, because they were on a ledge near the bottom of like oh. that 50 meter area yeah. where there's no water. Yeah. Um, and so they were rescued after several days. So they're That's still good. alive. They're still good. Um, I'm sure they were probably dehydrated and hungry, but at least, you know, at least they got rescued. But wow, that's insane. <laughs> so we're gonna keep an eye out for this. Um, I would move if I was them, but if you know, if you're in a poor rural area and all of your buddies in your you know, land, your infrastructure, that's going to be kind of hard to come back from. That's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it looks like that's like three feet from taking that fence line at the corner. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's terrifying. It's very, very close. Oh my God. Yeah. So, so that's my uh, little survival adjacent story. And the survivors are those two <clears throat> sweet pa- puppy dogs. So Aww, yeah. Cute. But anyway. All right. So what's your PSA? Um, so there's a missing person out that is an avid national parks um, person. Have you heard of this story? I did hear about this story. I have been following this fairly closely because, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just started with, first of all, um, it kind of came out of nowhere, which obviously that's kind of the point of like when you alert the authorities about a missing person, it kind of just does come out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, but it's all over all of the news pages that I follow on mm-hmm. Facebook. And so every time I open up my Inst- or my Facebook, it's um, like just updates. And so I just keep reading and clicking and it's a very wild story. Um, so this 22 year old girl who's super cute and um, apparently an influencer, they have her and her boyfriend or ex fiance. That title is up in the air from everything that I've read. Um, oh, and it seems like he allegedly is involved. Yeah. yeah so it doesn't okay. look good. Um, so Gabby Petito is 22 years old. She's this cute, small, blonde, happy-go-lucky girl who went on a cross-country road trip with her boyfriend, fiance, whatever you want to call him. Some sources say fiance, some say boyfriend. Um, and his name is Brian Laundry. I believe is mm-hmm. how you pronounce his last name. Mm-hmm. And so they went on a cross country road trip in her van. From what I've read, it's her uh, camper van. And they were s- supposed to go to Grand Teton or that was the last place they were seen. 
her mom ended up putting out a missing persons report um, like two weeks after she had last heard from her, some, mm-hmm. somewhere around two weeks, maybe a little less than two weeks. And her mom just thought that they didn't have cell service where they were. Um, but then obviously, like when she didn't check in, she started to get worried. And Gabby was frequently checking in with her family to let them know that, that she was okay and like what their plan was. And so um, the mom reported her missing and then when the mom was giving a statement, she kind of went back and said that now that she's thinking about it, she doesn't even know if the last text that she got from Gabby was really Gabby because it was a text message and she didn't yeah. hear her voice or see her face. So who knows how long it actually had been since she had heard from her. Right. And she was like in contact with them like every single day. It every like, day. Yeah. yeah. And um, so as the story has been unfolding, there was body cam footage that was released from Gabby and Brian in Moab. Because I guess a bystander saw them fighting and called the police and it was more or less like a domestic dispute. Mm -hmm. There seems to be some sort of um, like mental illness going on, not like something more like anxiety, OCD type Mm -hmm. of mental illness happening that probably sparked those arguments. Um, All the articles that I've been reading say that as they were on the trip and time was progressing, you know, close quarters, tensions are high emotions rise and so you know you're gonna get in arguments with your significant other when you're traveling with them for an extended period of time and a camper van I would assume yeah can can confirm sans the camper van but can confirm (laughs) yeah so um so yeah I guess a bystander in Moab saw them fighting called the police there's body cam footage of the interviews going on between the two and then from Moab they were or they were supposed to go to Grand Teton and then I guess like that was really around that time frame was the last time Gabby's mom heard from her and so they put out a missing persons report and there has been a large search for her ever since and as the story unfolds now I saw this morning that the FBI is doing a search in Grand Teton National Park they finally like for a while they're like well we need more information before we like legitimately start a search Mm-hmm. Um, because they didn't really know where, like, the location Cause, yeah. was. Because the boyfriend, fiance, whatever you want to call him, wasn't fucking talking. Well, like, and it seems like they were in multiple national parks over that period. Yes. Yeah, so because who knows? the text that she sent her mom says no said no service in Yosemite. Yeah. And yeah, then, so or sorry, Yosemite. I was like, Yosemite. <laughs> That's fine. That's the first time I've heard that, but that's like we're rolling with it. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it's been strange because so when they reported her missing, um, like the next day or shortly after that missing person report, um, the authorities found Brian at his family's home in Florida with her camper van. Yeah, and so, so he came back without her, and so. They were like, where is she? And he kept his mouth shut. He has kept his mouth shut. His family has kept their mouth shut. No one has been talking about where she is. And so that's why we were saying it does not look good for either of them. Um, And so now as of the other day, like yesterday or the day before, he has run away. So now he's a runaway and the news outlets are saying he's a missing person. But it's not like he's missing as in like disappeared like Gabby did and no one knows where she is or what happened to her. 
he is on, most likely on, alive and he yeah. ran away and his family who knows if they pointed the authorities in the right direction or not right. because they haven't even been forthcoming in this so yeah because he's, he's not he's not a victim he's on the lamb you know yeah yeah and so he has like apparently his parents sent authorities to this one park or like conservation area in Sarasota, Florida. And they have been like combing the area every which way possible. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just uh, watching the whole story unfold is uh, truly impressive. And yes. it is concerning because like, th- it, like this is just like a 22 year old girl was just trying to go on vacation mm-hmm. with her boyfriend and domestic dispute possibly happened mm-hmm. possible murder mm-hmm. don't know what happened if he just got mad and left her somewhere it's been like a month now so like she doesn't have food water any resources if she is still alive right. i don't know why she, she couldn't have like eventually found her way up to the road and waved mm-hmm. someone down and got cell service or like used a phone or something yeah um so who knows? It what? seems to me that she was more likely killed and that's why he's on the run. Oh, hundred um, percent. I mean, I don't yeah. want to be that Debbie Downer, but like something definitely happened, whether that was like an accident and like they got in a fight and he yeah. like went to shove her to like push her off of him or whatever happened. And she ended up falling off a cliff. Like who knows? Yeah. Like, but something definitely happened and he's not talking and now yeah. he's a runaway and now authorities are searching a conservation area in Florida for him. And who knows if that was even the right place to look because his parents could have lied and sent the authorities one direction. So he could right. run away in a different direction. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, yeah, I've been watching that too. And I thought about doing it actually as a story, but I was like, no, nah, I already got one. Like, well, well whatever. But um. I, yeah, I've been watching it through TikTok, but I haven't been as in depth with it as you have. So keep, keep us updated on that. Cause I want to know, I want to know what happens. I want. Yeah, me to... too. I mean, that poor girl and her family, like yeah. they just want to know what happened to her. Like they were like one of the releases that came out from like one of their statements, they were just like, whatever happened in Wyoming happened. Like you just need mm-hmm. to tell us where she is. Like we yeah. need to get her home one way or the other, like whatever that means. Yeah, And now they're just like, dude, if you were engaged with her and like, you know, you love her and now you're keeping your mouth shut, like, where's your loyalty? Like, it's just awful. Well, and if so the killed her, there is none, you know? Well, right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, And so like, and the reason why I keep saying like boyfriend, fiance, whatever you want to call them is like some sources say fiance, some mm-hmm. sources say boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And then I've read a couple sources that say that they were engaged and then broke off the engagement before the trip. It's like, just wanted to whatever that was going on. So yeah. Who knows? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. That's, that's scary. So what was your PSA? Don't trust men. <laughs> oh, my PS, my PSA was, uh, there's a missing person out there. If any of okay. you are in those areas, like please keep your eye out if you have any tips I mean if you know anything yeah like you know say something and like I don't know probably don't go on a cross-country road trip with someone that seems to be a little unstable um well Corey went on a cross road country cross-country road trip with me and I'm definitely unstable (laughs) okay (laughs) okay that's not a good blanket statement for everybody but yeah, I guess just um, sometimes 
it's hard to know if your significant other is exactly who they say they are. I, um, I feel well, confident that I know exactly who my husband is, but you know, things have happened to other couples that I've seen and it's just, you know, try to watch your back, I guess. Yeah. It's just sad. You know, it's just a sad story. Cause, yeah. and the wild thing about all of it to me too, is that like, they are social media influencers to an extent. Ah. And so it's like, it kind of is just in the public eye too. Mm-hmm. Like you essentially murdered someone in the public eye. <laughs> so Yeah. Well, like, he... like people would know if she was going to go missing, like they're right. going to this. Well, and if so... you show up without the camper or without her into her camper, like, Mm, yeah I mean he was either like too dumb or too shocked or hadn't watched enough true crime to uh cover it up because I feel like most people who kill their Mm -hmm. significant others in national parks make it look like an accident like they fell off a cliff or yeah and he could have done I don't know I mean I'm glad that he did it I'm glad that he's stupid you know so that hopefully that they can figure out what's going on and prosecute him. But yeah, uh, yeah it seems like he uh, wasn't quite on the up and up with that. Cause I know, uh, right? what did you think was going to happen when you returned without her, but with her camper? Yeah. Um, right. And so a lot of people, <laughs> I've been reading a lot of comments too. And a lot of people in the comments are like asking why the police or the authorities like didn't arrest him for essentially stealing her car. Yeah. Because like, yeah, like he would, he wasn't, like arrested for anything yet and like no one's like apparently watching the house because like he ran away but um but yeah like he came back with her car like Mm -hmm. isn't so people are like why weren't wasn't he arrested for stealing her car and like you guys could have held him and like at least you would have kept him around so yeah so now who knows now you got two people to look for not just one so yeah and also like the thing when i started seeing all of this pop up like I'm glad that they're doing as much media on it as possible because I feel like some some progress has been made from Mm -hmm. like pushing so much media out yeah but also it just makes me like so sad because so many people go missing a day from like Mm -hmm. domestic abuse and everything and it's just sad that like not all those people get the same treatment that this case is getting. Right. Cause they're both high profile um, individuals. I'm also going to assume that they're white, I believe. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and you know, money, yeah. And it's, it's kind of like a salacious, it's a salacious story, you know, and yeah. it involves national parks. So that's going to make big news as well. well no, nothing definitely. against national parks or anything. Like it makes sense. No, I know what you're saying. It's like a place yeah. that people are visiting. And so yeah. it's like, this is a location that we need to be aware of. And actually yeah. the fact that you said that reminded me that like a lot of um, the national parks, Instagrams and Facebooks have been posting like missing person mm-hmm. um, flyers on their accounts to kind of make more people aware of everything. Yeah. Um, no, that was good. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. keep an eye on that story. And actually, it reminded me there was like a whole family of people that went missing in Sierra Nevada's this summer. And I do want to talk, I kind of want to talk about that next episode um, for a little bit yeah. at the beginning because um, sure. I totally missed it. And then, like, recently was reading about it on. Um, on TikTok, but I don't always think about like doing those stories as our like news stories because I'm like, well, they're true crime, you know, it's not, uh, but it's like, it could be 
something like, or she could still be alive and try to survive on her own in the park and has no idea where she is, you know? Yeah. I just think it kind of like aligns with the themes of our stories, like wilderness survival, wilderness tragedy. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, this is very much a tragedy leaning on that end. So. Yeah. And we've certainly talked about true crime on this podcast before, like with the mm-hmm. Clipperton Island Atoll story. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so on the uh, subject of missing people and spookiness. Spooky season. <laughs> it's spooky season, y'all. And that means it is time to get into some ooky spooky mysterious story. Ooky spooky. Love it. I am so freaking excited to talk about this one. This is almost up on Shackleton level for me, but for a completely... Oh, really? Yes, but for a completely different reason. And it's because it's like this big, amazing, unfolding mystery. And of course, it involves polar exploration, which is my favorite like survival topic. Um, I will say for the next couple of episodes, because it is spooky season, there's not really a lot of survivors. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because what's more spooky than, um, death, um, and mysterious circumstances surrounding it. But I promise we will still have fun with this one. Um, it is a more historic story as well. And, but there are some modern, um, uh, human interests that kind of bring it all together into the modern day mm-hmm. um, timeline and a lot of discoveries that have been made recently, like super recently. So super excited. Today, we are going to be talking about Franklin's Lost Expedition. And this is going to be a two-parter. So, Ooh, I love a two-parter. Because <laughs> I was like, there's way too much. <laughs> yes. And I can go on and talk about this forever. I love this. So we're going to set the stage for what this is about. Okay. All right. So on May 19th, 1845, the HMS Erebus and Terror sailed out of the River Thames, carrying 128 officers and men under the command of Sir John Franklin. Their goal was to connect the Northwest Passage from a maze of islands in the Arctic Archipelago from the Atlantic to the Pacific in order to enable easier trade between Europe and Asia. The ships entered the archipelago around Baffin Island, which is in far Northern Canada, and were never seen alive by Europeans again. Spooky. I was like, where's the uh, spooky sound effects? I literally wrote- Oh my God. (laughs) Oh, I'm so sorry. I just totally went on the uh, Google ladies images for Franklin's Lost Expeditions and I just probably scarred myself. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Did you see the bodies? Uh, Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. I see that. Now I'm going to click right out of this. (laughs) Yeah. I uh, was saving that for next episode. No, that's cool. That's why I I was like, you know what? You just keep talking. I'm going to pretend I never saw that. (laughs) See, now you know, like, what kind of level of creepiness we're on. Everything's fine. You just keep talking. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So um, I actually did write in my script, I wrote pause for spooky. (laughs) (laughs) Did you use zeros instead of O's in that too? (laughs) No, I used O's. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. All right. So let's get into this. Um, mm-hmm. So let's first talk about the main players of this expedition. And if you pull up the pictures, you can look at these lovely British gentlemen for yourself. I got them. I got them right here. So you can see the HMS uh, Terror and Erebus as well, which were both um, tall ships that were especially Mm -hmm. made for exploring ice um, and uh, polar regions. And we'll kind of get into that a little bit more um, in a little bit. So Sir John Franklin was the leader of this expedition. He was chosen because he technically was a seasoned polar explorer um, and had already led two previous searches for the Northwest Passage, although they weren't super successful. And in one of them, um, starvation was so bad among the men that they ended up uh, eating their own leather shoes for survival. So that's the story in and of itself. So he was chosen to be the leader of the voyage and the captain of the Erebus, which was the lead ship, but he was actually the Royal Navy's third choice for this position. And that was likely because of some of his uh, kind of lack of skill uh, when it came and like some of his, basically he almost had a failed mission uh, more or less with that whole leather eating business. Okay. You know, you know, it's bad when you're literally eating, eating shoes. Yeah. It's not, it's not. next step is eating people. So, you know, Ugh, yes. <laughs> so not great. Um, but kind of managed to get out of that one. And then, so he is the gentleman. Um, well, I labeled it. You can, you, you can. See. Yeah. So I'm looking at these photos of these guys and tell me what you think about this, because my first thought was that Sir John Franklin and commander James Fitzjames looks the same, except yeah. if Commander James Fitzjames just did one of those things where he made himself look like he had a double chin, like he just scrunched <laughs> his neck back and down. <laughs> yes, they all like that's what it looks yeah. like. <laughs> they all look very, very similar, and it like and yeah, Fitzjames basically just looks like a younger version of John Franklin. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll talk about him in a second, but I want to talk about Francis Crozier, which was the captain of the terror. And he's the one who doesn't look exactly like the other one. Similar, still mm-hmm. chubby. You they know, still, still kind of the same, yeah. but not as quite. Yeah. So, so chubby white guy has some sideburns. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what they all look like. They all, all look almost identical. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, but so he was to be the captain of the terror, which was the second voyage vessel. Anyway, so Crozier was a uh, 59-year-old royal officer um, who was also a very experienced polar explorer in both the Arctic and the Antarctic. Um, and he had previously commanded the terror in the Antarctic as well. And so he has had some actual serious polar exploration as well. And he never had any of his crew members eating leather boots so oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> um so he probably had the most experience of any of the crew members including sir john but because he was irish and not british he wasn't given the utmost honor weird yeah so that's kind of we talked about that a little bit with um shackleton actually as well um that he had a bit of a harder time climbing the social ladder of course uh, mm-hmm. his expedition took place about 60 years after this one um so there was a little less 
<laughs> stigma. Yeah. Um, but there's that, you know, classist British classism and racism happening. Um, and like, like we said, a lot of people don't realize that uh, the British were very racist against, you know, what we now consider, you know, quote unquote, their own, you know, mm-hmm. so the Scots and, and the Irish and Welsh. So interesting. Yeah. And there's still some of that going on. And I'm like, I mean, a lot of people just, they don't realize that uh, the UK or Britain started colonizing um, with their own, with people that were immediately in the vicinity of them, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. So really Ireland is now its own country, which is great, but uh, Wales and Scotland are not, and they probably should be. So yeah. Anyway, I'll mind my own business. (laughs) As you sip your coffee. Mm -hmm. Okay. So so Crozier had the most experience. Um, and then there is uh, James Fitzjames. What a name. Yep, that's his, that's his name. That's his actual name. Um, James Fitzjames. James Fitzjames. Um, so he was considered for the command of the terror, um, which would have outed Crozier, which is so dumb. All was just because he was Irish. Um, but because he was young and inexperienced, he was given the second in command of Erebus. So he was like the number two to uh, um, Sir John on the Erebus. But mm-hmm. Crozier was the number two of the whole expedition, if that makes sense. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So very pompous looking, chubby British individual, save for uh, Captain Francis Crozier. So that's what we're looking at. Um, and mm-hmm. we're se- sending these guys in into the uh, Arctic. <laughs> <laughs> good luck. Yeah, seems like a good idea. Um, but granted, they did have 128 um, mem- crew members as well, um, who were probably a lot more, you know, able to deal with some of these conditions. <laughs> mm-hmm. So the ships were called HMS Erebus and Terror. Um, they were powerful, tall ships with engines. Um, probably some of the most technologically advanced ships for the time. Um, Not only did they have strengthened hulls with extra layers of oak and iron plating to protect the ship against the thick ice, they also had internal heating systems to keep the ship warm in the freezing Arctic, which was pretty newfangled for the 1840s. Yeah. In addition, they brought vast amounts of supplies and preserved food, um, enough for three years of comfortable survival. So, gosh, I can't even get enough food for like a week. I can't imagine <laughs> planning for three years. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, like they were in theory prepared. Yeah. You know? I like how you say in theory. In theory, there's a lot of issues with a lot of the stuff that they brought, however. And uh, I think at the time, there was a lot of underestimating the power of the Arctic and a lot of will wish to kind of overcome the Arctic and quote unquote conquer it. It's like, it's not really, it's not really a place to be conquered in that way. Yeah, It's not going to, it's, it's like who wants to live there? Well, Inuit do and they do it well, but the thing is, but they're also native there. Right. Right. And there's not, (laughs) there's not like a huge population of them either because it just doesn't provide enough resources to have a huge population of people. Yeah. So, um, and we'll kind of get into kind of the Inuit side of things as well, um, because they are very integral to, uh, unraveling the mystery of this, this story. Yeah. 
Yeah, my point being is like if you're not native there, like there probably isn't a reason for you. This is in general. If you're not native mm-hmm. there, probably isn't a reason. But anyway, if it's cold and you're not native there and you're not used to all of that, probably not a reason to be there yeah. or go there. Just just don't worry about it. Um, yeah, don't worry about it. But they were worried about it, and here's why. <laughs> so. As stated before, the goal was to locate and transit the link for the fabled Northwest Passage, which y'all might, uh, that might be ringing some bells for you. It might've been talked about in your history classes. Uh, it was in mine, but I didn't really fully understand, you know, what it was. So it was a long sought pathway from the Atlantic to the Pacific through the Canadian Arctic waters. Um, and would make trading between Europe and Asia much easier. So at this time, there was no Panama Canal, hadn't been built. Okay. So in order to get to the Pacific from the Atlantic, you either had to sail all the way around the tip of South America. Well, that that was pretty much it. That was the only way you could get to the Pacific. And that's a very long journey. So what they were trying to do is go through the Canadian Arctic, because if you look at the map on the next Mm -hmm. slide, there's a series of um, islands at the very far north of our planet. And this is all Northern Canada now. Um, and the big mass up in the corner is Greenland. And then the big mass at the bottom, that's like Northern Canada. Um, and so theoretically, if you sail up Baffin Bay from the Atlantic, you could go through these islands and end up in the Pacific Ocean on the other side. And Mm. if you could do that, it would cut the trip down significantly, at least from Europe anyway. Yeah, but they probably didn't think about all of the ice flows and stuff that were going to be there. Yes, well, and that's the thing. It's like it would only be able, you'd only be able to do it seasonally anyway. And I think they knew that. Yeah. Um, But they're still trying to do it. So there had been many attempts before. However, um, they had not been able to penetrate (laughs) enough into the art (laughs) sorry (laughs) they had not been able to penetrate enough into the arctic to link the atlantic to the pacific mostly due to the sea ice like you said so in reality this quest took literal centuries to actually transit i don't think it actually happened until the 20th century oh because people kept failing it well because there's so much fucking ice yeah and it like, wasn't working out for people that were trying to go through it. Yeah, it's impossible to get through unless yeah. it's a good year and there's like, you know, limited sea ice. You can do it now with some of our big, you know, modern breakers. But this is why they made the Panama Canal, because mm-hmm. this Northwest Passage idea didn't work. Or it was one of the reasons why they made the Panama Canal. So anyway, so but for Europe, it was an obsession to complete and arch explorers were basically treated like astronauts back then. Um, so there was a lot of fanfare and interest surrounding this expedition. There was like this polar craze. And I think we talked about it a little bit with Shackleton as well, where, mm-hmm. I mean, these guys were like, you know, the ultimate heroes. They were like Neil Armstrong, you know what I mean? So right. everybody knew who they were. Everybody knew what they were doing. And there was this great desire to be on their cruise to go to the far north um, and conquer kind of the last bit of the world that Britain hadn't conquered yet. So that's kind of why this whole expedition came about. So that makes sense. Yeah. However, 
A little after two months of setting sail, the Erebus and the Terror were spotted in Baffin Bay by European whalers. So this is the bay that runs alongside the western side of Greenland. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they were close to the entrance of Lancaster Sound or Lancashire. I don't know. However you pronounce that. Yeah, one of those two. Yeah. Um, In which they would then enter the maze of the Arctic archipelago. But after that, the crew was never seen alive by Europeans again. And this was in um, July of 1845. So before I get into the archaeological archaeological aspects of this uh, expedition, Mm -hmm. because we don't know what happened to them, really. Uh, And that's kind of what we've been trying to figure out for literal decades and centuries. Um, Let's first get into what they may have experienced on this expedition before they disappeared off the face of the earth. Cool, cool, cool. Give a little uh, climatic background here. So we can only surmise, surmise this from the historical weather data and experiences from other expeditions, um, but this is kind of what they could be expecting on day to day. So temperatures outside of the ship would drop as low as negative 48 degrees Celsius or negative 54 degrees Fahrenheit overnight. Uh, uh. Mm, mm-hmm. Or negative 35 degrees Celsius, uh, which is negative 31 degrees Fahrenheit by day, Um, which this meant that it was cold enough that taking off um, any clothes, like if you had a scarf over your face or something like that, if you took it off, uh, it would be cold enough to uh, rip your skin off (laughs) if your skin is stuck to it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, No, I don't like that. Mm -mm. I don't like Mm -mm. that. Mm -mm. Um, or that if you were placing a cold meteorology meter, I can't say these fucking words, meteorological instrument, such as like a telescope or a sextant, which would have been necessary <gasps> in figuring out where you were. Um, would your uh, eye your, come out? Like, well, your eye, your <laughs> eye, pull your eye out. <laughs> 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 Sorry. Oh, that noise. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, no, basically, if you had it around your eye, it would be enough to rip the skin off um, when you pulled it away. Not that it would rip your eye off. <laughs> because otherwise, Yuck. like, they would have to find something else to not have it. Just imagine that. these guys, like, putting, like, their, like, telescope or their, their sex into their eye. And then, like, they feel it, like, it's stuck. And they're like, well, I'm not going to have this one anymore. And so they tried to use their other eye and then they have like two of these like sex on their eyes and they just can't like, <laughs> and they're just like walking around, <laughs> walking <holding> around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Until it gets warm enough that they can like take them off again. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's what they did. That's funny. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm just Back picturing some guy walking around with two sextants attached to his eye. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> okay. So, conditions below decks were also freezing, but since the ships were fitted with a heating system, it may have been more bearable to deal with on a day to day basis. So, 
Typically, Arctic expeditions at this time would set off in spring so that they could get as far as possible in the summer before the winter came in and before progress was expected to be impacted by sea ice. Like, they already knew that they were probably going to get frozen in the sea ice. That's why they brought three years of food with them mm-hmm. so that they could overwinter while they were right. stuck in the ice. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So like I said, this is something common that happened to polar explorers before ships being frozen in ice or ships having anchor down in a protected Harbor over winter. because It just was not possible to travel in the pack ice. Um, so my question is, how the hell did they think they were going to get trade ships through there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, we don't yeah. do that today. <laughs> it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's crazy. Um, so this is what is thought to have happened to the Erebus and Terror. Um, they became stuck in the ice and became part of the ice pack. But once again, this was expected to have happened. Um, in the warmer months, um, they were planning on continuing to travel through to the other side and get out into the Pacific um, where they wouldn't have as much pack ice to deal with. That was the plan anyway. So in this, in the warmer months, they would have seen uh, narwhals, bowhead whales, seals, and even botanical life um, during the summer on the islands that were surrounding them. Um, but in the winter, that all mm-hmm. shut down. Um, so there wouldn't have been, you know, seals and stuff. There would have been probably polar bears out on the pack ice trying to hunt for seals, but it would have been really hard to actually mm-hmm. hunt for seals um, themselves. Um, they would have experienced intense fog, rough seas, pressure from the sea ice when they were frozen in. Um, but they would also have experienced beautiful, breathtaking skies um, in the form of Aurora Borealis, which... Unfortunately, you didn't get to see. <laughs> you know, I no, want to see it too. To that. Yeah, I, I never got to see. One day. It. I never got to see it in Finland either. Um, and we were pretty much. I mean, we were pretty close to the Arctic Circle. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, someday, someday, maybe we'll see. <laughs> yeah, someday. I just need to take a more extensive trip to Alaska for that. I think. Yeah. Because they saw it like the week before we got out there. Mm-hmm. So. It just is like a weather thing, really. We just had too many clouds. Yeah. Sucks. I want to see it, too. I do. Um, yeah. Anyway, back to the story. So that was the one, you know, shiny, bright side of this whole fucking mm-hmm. trip. They got <laughs> to, to see, see some cool lights. Yeah, cool light, cool wildlife. <laughs> yeah. Imagine seeing a narwhal in person. Oh, my God. I would die. I really want to. I almost convinced my parents to, this was before my dad's accident, me and my brother almost convinced them to take a trip with us to Greenland. Yeah. <laughs> or like, like the high Northern Arctic. And I almost had my mom convinced to go and I don't know uh, how I did it. It would have been an amazing trip, but she was like, yeah, that'd be really cool. And I was like, I really want to see narwhals and beluga whales. And she was like, yeah, that'd be really cool. Like, yes, it would be really cool. Let's yeah. do it. <laughs> I was like, we were legitimately like looking up like vacation packages and stuff. I love that. <laughs> and my mom does not That's like so cold, cool. so I don't know how I can. <laughs> Just give her a lot of hot hands. She'll be fine. I was like, we can go dog sledding. It'll be awesome. <laughs> 
Oh my God. Bobsledding would be awesome. Uh, right. I really, I, someday I want to get to Greenland. I think it'd be really freaking cool. Um, I think but, it'd be super cool yeah. to see a Greenland shark just because uh, those things are like super old yes. and they're just like blobs in the water bumping yeah. into stuff they're, blind. Yeah. Cause they've got those little eyeball copepod parasites. Mm, spooky mm-hmm. season. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Spooky season. Hey, remember that one time we saw that uh, isopod in the mouth of Ben Hayden and I freaked out? Yes. Okay. So for all of our listeners, when we were working on um, one of our field surveys together at uh, VIMS, which is the Virginia Institute of Marine Science, um, we would come across these fish with uh, isopods in their mouths. So they're basically like giant, scary, roly polies, and they'd just be big chilling in the mouth. Yeah. And turns out, um, basically, what these parasites do is they get inside the fish's mouth and they eat their tongue, and mm-hmm. then they live in their mouth, acting as the fish's tongue, so that they can get food while the fish is eating. Yeah, <laughs> I learned the hard way about that relationship. Yep, yep, it was uh, yep. pretty nasty, and it's pretty common, actually. Um, I see it all the time now. Yeah. I'm not sampling. Like, I'm like, oh, look, there's a tongue isopod and it's no biggie now. Because <laughs> I just see it all the time. Gross. It's nasty. So, so uh, there's a fun little spooky. chief scientist on that project was just like, Haley, come on. And I was like, <laughs> go to me. <laughs> I don't like this. <laughs> this is not normal. This is. Yes, like this is an ocean bug. No, thank you. <laughs> so anyway, there's a fun little spooky, ooky, creepy, crawly tidbit for you um, before we continue on with this shit show. Mm. Yeah, sorry. Continue. Continue no, it's on okay. with the shit show. It's okay. Um, so it was thought that Franklin's ships had gotten trapped in the sea ice um, and later confirmed um that this happened in a particularly desolate area, which the Inuit called Tununik. I hope I'm saying that right. Tununik, meaning the back of beyond. So they probably weren't able to rely on locals for meat or clothing because the Inuit weren't even up here. Um, Hmm. So, I mean, this is a really particularly desolate area. It was likely that they were stuck in the ice for two years, if not longer, as during this period, the Arctic was going through some particularly cold winters in which the pack ice didn't break up during the summer because it was so cold. So I they feel were- like that's kind of always the theme of these stories. It's <laughs> always like a particularly like harder winter or harder summer or yeah. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Like, what did you think that was going to happen? <laughs> people, 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 people. Hey, we don't have to worry about that now. So... No, definitely not. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) So, um, like I said, during this this period, the Arctic was going through some particularly cold winters. Um, But the ship did have enough supplies to keep the ship, the entire, both both ships actually fed for three years, including. That's what I was about to say. I was like, I mean, if they're stuck for two, they got food for three. So. Yep. They should be fine. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and this was including barrels of lemon and lime juice to prevent scurvy, which was get the, the, get the yeah. heck out of here. <laughs> yeah, that's the typical way to prevent 
uh, scurvy um, because it could actually lime juice could actually be stored and wouldn't go bad, you know? Yeah. Although I'm like, if conditions were that cold, you could just probably use the outside as a freezer and just stick all your fruit out there, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. I don't know why they didn't think of that. There must be some reason. You get bad freezer. Burn. We could go back in time and ask. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so there's, there's probably some reason. So what happened to these men? So the... Annals of History considers this expedition the worst tragedy to ever befall any British polar exploration because mm-hmm. they lost all 24 officers and 110 men in total. Jesus. But very few intact bodies have ever been recovered. Ooh. Yeah. Did they get eaten by some polar bears or something? We'll get into that. Oh, okay. So there are, however a lot of clues to the fate of the expedition. So there have been a lot of clues to the fate of the expedition that have been found during both during Franklin's time. And there have been some amazing modern day discoveries. So strap in because it's going to be a ride, a wild ride. Yeah. It's, uh, it's like, I love it. So initially there were rescue expeditions, um, hopefully to retrieve the trapped men. um, And they were launched in subsequent years by Lady Jane Franklin, who was uh, an awesome force of nature herself and led a lifelong campaign to spur both British and American governments to search for her husband and the missing men. And she's fucking awesome. And I love her and she's great. Um, So after a few years, uh, the recovery or the rescue missions had had turned into recovery missions because they figured all the men had died. Obviously, yeah. It's not even this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, basically, they were now recovery missions to find clues about the disappearance. Um, These were a total of 39 missions. And it wasn't until... Golly. Yeah. Like, they, they suck a lot of money in to try to find these guys. So... It wasn't until the 1850s, um, which was like 15 years after the expedition had launched, that there were some serious evidence discovered. So let's get into Mm -hmm. a bit of the um, evidence that was found during that time. So the first discovery was a trio of graves on Beachy Island near the Lancaster Sound and Wellington Channel. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is where they started their journey um, and where the expedition likely had their first winter camp where they were either frozen in or sheltering in a harbor. And so if you look back Mm -hmm. at that map, you can see um, that they come in from Baffin Bay and they kind of circle Beachy Island. And this is thought that that was kind of where they first overwintered. And that's where their graves. Yeah. That's where those three graves were found. I see. Okay. Yes. Yes. The Northern part. Yes. Yeah. So these three men had unexpectedly died before the expedition had even really gotten underway. Um, But they were all ordinary sailors. Um, This was odd, however, because this was the expedition's first winter, but also maybe not so odd because people died of disease and stuff all the time back then. So maybe they just caught Mm -hmm. something and died. It happens um, in these you know, old timey kind of things. 
just like, oh yeah, and right. Frank died of consumption or whatever, <laughs> you know. Right. Um, so then in 1856, a recovery expedition uh, found a cairn or cairn, you know, like a pile of rocks. Yes. Rock yes. pile. Okay. Um, on King William Island that had a note deposited on it. And King William Island is this uh, island almost to close to the mainland of Canada um, at the bottom of the map or near the bottom of the map near Victoria Strait. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Okay. So they found a cairn on King William Island that had a note deposited in it. And on the note, they found that in the spring of 1847, which would have been the second year of the expedition, a party from the Franklin expedition traveled across the sea ice on foot, probably carrying sledges um, to point victory on Mm -hmm. King William Island. Um, And they deposited a written record in the cairn, initially reporting that all was well, but that they were locked in the ice for a second winter, which was expected. Oh God. Right. Yeah. So they find this note. It's like the narrator is like, all was not well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Shit was about to go down. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So it was here though, that the 1856 recovery expedition found darker evidence. Eek. There, sorry. <laughs> there was an additional note uh, scrawled in the margins of the all it was well note, basically saying that by the next winter in 1848, Sir John Franklin and 23 other men were dead and the ship was trapped in Eek. ice. Um, they didn't say what the cause of death was. So that's concerning. Interesting. Um, the written note said Possible murder. <laughs> That's what it was. <laughs> they were all murdered. I mean, yeah, right. Maybe they got in a fight, they got murdered, and then no one wanted to say anything. And yeah, <laughs> who knows? Know. Throw it out there. No one's a rat. We Maybe still, rat I mean, there. we still don't fully know what happened to these men. Um, we'll get into that. So the written note said that the 105 survivors were now abandoning ship and striking out across land to try to find rescue a la Shackleton. So Mm. this is kind of like uh, what would have happened if Shackleton hadn't succeeded? Maybe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't think this is going to end well. I mean, clearly it doesn't. But But, I mean, this is going to suck a little more than I thought it was going to suck. Oh, yeah. Um, So the last known coordinates of the two ships were also given here. So we have those two coordinates. Um, And it was signed Mm -hmm. by Captain Crozier of the Terror. So if you look at the last slide, slide four, you can see um, the beachy island graves. That's like a little spooky. Yes. And it's like, there's nothing on the landscape. It's all just rock. There's nothing there. Yeah. Which is kind of what all of these islands look like. There's not a lot of vegetation. There's not a lot of animals, especially in the winter. Um, But then you can also see the King William Island Cairn and then Mm -hmm. also the Victory Point note. And so initially the note was typed like on a typewriter or something. Um, and then all of the notes about all of the bad things that had happened are all scrawled in the columns 
It's very hmm. creepy to me anyway. I'm like, why wouldn't you just write it? It's another- like they were updating it as it went along. Yeah. Also, like, maybe why- their typewriter broke. Maybe. Um, but you could also get like another piece of paper. <laughs> which i know they had maybe they planned <laughs> maybe they planned for three years of food but they didn't plan for three years of typing <laughs> didn't plan for three years of paper well we'll get into why i know they fucking had paper and i'll i'll let you know we'll, we'll get into that okay so, okay so there's this there's this evidence that's starting to pop up try starting to explain what happened to these men so yeah so now looking at the map based on these two points um, that were in the note the for the ships, um, the recovery party realized that the crew at that point was in pretty dire straits. Um, King William Island is a desolate island covered mostly by shale rocks with very few life. Um, and what plants are there are very, you know, low to the ground, grasses and moss, um, and they only show up in the summer. Mm-hmm. There's only one permanent settlement, even in modern day. Uh, and this place is called Joe Haven, which is inhabited exclusively by about a thousand Inuit, um, even to this day. Okay. And the settlement is at the very far south of the island. And the two ships were trapped in the far northwest of the island, which doesn't necessarily look on it on the map, but Canada is fucking huge. So this was like... Yeah, so this was like several hundred miles away from the southern coastline where Joe Haven was. And I'm not even sure that the British explorers even knew that Joe Haven was there in the first place. Huh. Yeah. So, so there, it's not great. Um, (laughs) So it's looking good. No, it's likely that Crozier and the men were trying to make for a great fish river. Um, also known as Back River or Backfish River. And this is a river that's on the Arctic uh, mainland or the, yeah, the Arctic mainland of Canada. Um, So from Mm -hmm. there, they might be able to find some game um, and for food and begin making their way to a trapping outpost on Great Slave Lake to get rescued. And this was a very um, ambitious undertaking. On the level of Shackleton. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I'm going to keep drawing parallels between the two of them because I feel like there are some similarities. Um, but obviously this one didn't end up quite as... I was going to say, but the main yeah. difference. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's the survival part of it all. Yeah. So the trip to the Great Fish River, however, was about 800 miles to the south. And that's just to the mainland of Canada. Then they would have to travel several uh, more hundred miles downriver to the Great Slave Lake. It's likely that this journey would have significantly weakened the men with starvation, frostbite, scurvy. um, And based on the fact that none of them made it to Great Slave Lake, uh, most of the men likely died on the march to the southwest across King William Island, which was several hundred miles um, in length. Oh, God. Yeah. It doesn't look it on the map. In, in my brain, I'm but like, it's not that big. That much. It's not that big. It's that big. It's big. Canada's I'm, huge. <laughs> yeah, I'm on Google Earth right now. Actually, Canada is huge. And isn't it like a part, like a large majority of Canada is inhabitable? Yeah, is correct. 
I mean, a large part of it, there aren't roads. I mean, there's people that live up there in yeah. small communities, but you have to fly to get there. I looked at a road map of Canada and a lot of the roads don't go that far north. It's just east and west. It's yeah. crazy. I think like a 90% of their population lives within like a hundred miles of the US border or something like that. I, I believe it. I read about that. I'm sorry. Yeah. So Canada's a weird place. Um <laughs> I you know, love to go up far north one day, but we'll see. So um, we talked about scurvy a lot in previous episodes. It's the lack of vitamin C in the body. um, And it takes more than a month of no vitamin C for the effects of scurvy to start to appear. Um, But like we said on the podcast Mm -hmm. before, um, it could be a killer of sailors without access to fresh fruit or veggies. So they would be experiencing things on their walk, their big walk south, like sore and bleeding gums. Um, old wounds and scars, yeah, old wounds and scars reopening. Yep. New wounds don't heal. Uh, teeth loosen. That's great. Uh, skin bruises easily. Um, bleeding from the pores can occur, especially around the hairline. Ugh. So they're not, not looking good. <laughs> no, not at yes. all. This can eventually culminate in seizures, muscle spasms, and death. So this can be sated with fresh veggies or even simple things such as lime and lemon juice that the Erebus and Terror had brought with them. Um, But it's likely that they would have run out of their supply by the time they began their march south in 1848, because this was now going on the fourth winter, I think, fifth or third or fourth Mm -hmm. winter that they were there. So it's likely that they would have been out or very close to being out of all of that. Yeah. So there are other ways to uh, curb uh, scurvy. So the Inuit people in this region eat a lot of their meat raw, um, and this ensures that they get enough vitamin C. But in this situation, because of that extremely cold winter um, of those few years, there wasn't probably wasn't a lot of game on the island to hunt. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And there were... 105 of them at this time so even if they had killed something like you would have a ration it wasn't enough right 105 people like yeah yeah so and the british weren't familiar with inuit hunting methods and would not be able to hunt what animals did remain which was mostly seals and um i've read that inuit seal hunting at that time involved a lot of patience a lot of waiting around um their little breathing holes that they create in the ice um, mm-hmm. for them to come up. And it's mm-hmm. actually, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. So it's actually a really difficult method of hunting and even Inuit weren't always successful. Um, yeah. and it would have been something that would have been closed in their culture and, and most, you know, Westerners wouldn't have known how to do it. So, so that food resource is probably not really available to them at the time. Right. Yeah. So did they even have like the right tools? to use for seal hunting probably because they plan for that right i mean i guess you could shoot them <laughs> if they if you could catch them when they come out um but they're smart yeah. you know they're not gonna if they know you're there they're not gonna come up so it's it's just basically yeah. a waiting game of how long it takes before they need to take their next breath but seals have little mm-hmm. uh holes all over their territory you know they have a it's not they don't yeah. just have the one hole oh, yeah no. yeah that so. would be dumb that that's not yeah that'd be dumb yeah, so going to be pretty tricky for them. So yeah. 
Another recovery mission of note was led by Dr. John Ray, who brought back Inuit stories of the fate of the men. Because the Inuit were around and kind of knew that the Brits were there because they were frozen in ice for two years. Um, Mm -hmm. So the Inuit had discovered an area of 30 British bodies um, some in, yeah, some in tents, um, some under a lifeboat, which I think was probably being used as a sledge. Um, and yeah. based on the mutilation of the bodies and the contents of the cook pots, it was very clear that cannibalism had happened. Ugh. Yeah. Again. Mm-hmm. We're back. It's Halloween. <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> so not great obviously but it's one of those gotta do what you gotta do situations but Mm -hmm. when uh dr ray brought this evidence back to great britain the victorian aristocracy pushed against the idea claiming that the inuit accounts were false and great british men would never fall to such sins oh jesus here we go with the uh um religious part of cannibalism again yeah, a little sprinkle of racism in there, too. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So Charles Dickens, actually, who was a close friend of Lady Jane Franklin, um, basically said this about the Inuit accounts. And this is not my opinion at all. This is a quote. This is what Charles Dickens said. The chapter- Make it clear, Charles <laughs> Dickens said this. Charles Dickens, <laughs> you know, the author. Yes. He said about the Inuit accounts um, that they were the chatter of a gross handful of uncivilized people with a domesticity of blood and blubber. blubber. So, yeah, so he's pretty, pretty racist. Um, Mm -hmm. And so this was kind of the mindset of the Victorians at the time was like the the Inuit were lying about this and they were, you know, too dumb to know what happened to the men. I'm like, Really? Because they're doing a pretty good job of uh, surviving up there, you know? Yeah. Seems like they know what they're doing. (laughs) So, and we will get just into how wrong these Victorians were in part two. Um, So over the next- Love that for us. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, the modern day, like, discoveries are so cool. I'm so excited. Um, So over the next 30 years, relics from the expedition, such as tin cans, snow goggles- and cutlery from the ship made hmm. its way back to Britain. Um, most scatterns in locate scattered in locations around King William Island. And it's not just like, oh, there was a fork and a knife. No, they brought like entire boxes full of silver cutlery with them. <laughs> this oh, is how I know they still had fucking paper. <laughs> Why would yeah. you be carrying that around? Yeah. Yeah. So... There was an expedition in 1859 that found a human skeleton still clothed, carrying papers from the ship, specifically a seaman's Mm. certificate of Chief Petty Officer Henry Pegler. But it's more likely that since the uniform was of a steward, that it may have been the steward Thomas Armitage. Um, On King William Island, an abandoned lifeboat, that had been turned into a sled was found with two skeletons and numerous personal effects. Personal effects included boots, silk handkerchiefs, soap, sponges, slippers, hair combs, and a lot of books, which why, if they were so desperate, were they carrying all that shit? Yeah. This is how they, I know they still had paper. That's like, uh, (laughs) 
Yeah, that's like definitely not the definition of uh, packing what you need. Yeah, they, uh, yeah, they didn't, they didn't understand the assignment. <laughs> definitely not. They failed the assignment. Um, so one body was well-preserved um, and had two loaded shotguns in each hand um, and 40, 40 pounds of chocolate and eight pairs of boots at his feet. I just like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> So it's, this it's like random collection of things. <laughs> I know <laughs> this is why this is so, it's such a weird story. It's so mysterious. Um, so yeah, he had two loaded shotguns, 40 pounds of chocolate and eight pairs of boots. And it's likely this man did not die of starvation, but probably died of scurvy or exposure to the elements and was basically trying to hoard supplies. Like his life depended on it, which I guess it kind of did. Yeah. <laughs> um, the boots make sense because you need to keep your feet warm. And I'm sure they were doing a lot of walking and the boots would wear out pretty easily. But I don't know were about they all, eight. all different sizes of boots. I don't I'm know. I'm just thinking if I would, I'm like now like my um, dark brain is like, <laughs> ooh, what if they were all different sizes of boots? And he was just collecting the boots of the people that he killed. Ooh. Like, yeah. A thing. Yeah. Probably not the case, but that's where my mind went. Well, it, it just, it's creepy. It's spooky, you know? Yeah. Eight pairs of boots. Like, yeah. why? I, yeah, I want to I wanna know. I see what you're saying, though, about the boots being worn down. Yeah. But you would think, like, maybe, like, just another pair. The, right. Right. <laughs> not eight. <laughs> Two at the most, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you could always eat them. Uh, maybe that's what he brought them for. Yeah, if they're leather, so... Hmm. So anyway, <laughs> yeah, sorry, tangent. Yeah, no, it's fine. No, I, this is why I love this one because it's like, there's so much to dig into and figure out like what was going on? Like, were they all losing their yeah. minds? Like, why were they bringing all of this stuff? Is it just because of their British sensibilities? Because if they had been in the Arctic before, they would know <laughs> that these things are probably not necessary for survival. Yeah, well, also, like, I feel like when you're out, like, on foot at that point, like, you are aware that you're possibly going to die. Right. And so it's like, you don't need to bring all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. If you're, like, what is that saying? Like, you can't take it with you. Like, you, you like, when you go to heaven, like, you know, all these, like, things, whatever. Yeah. I don't know. There's a saying. I can't remember the saying, but there's a saying. It's like, you can't take it all with you when you go. So, like. Yeah. It's not important. No, I, yes. There's just so much that it's like, I don't, oh, so it's, it's fascinating and creepy and it's going to yeah. get creepier part two, but let me, uh, yeah, your story. I'll wrap this up. Um, yeah. So there were still stories from local Inuit of white men who had slowly perished and ships that had been caught up and disappeared beneath the ice eventually, which is you know, eventually the pressure of the sea ice will cause ships to crumple and sink. Um, so Inuit hunters passed these stories on through their oral history mm-hmm. of a large group of men pulling boats behind them across King William Island, moving south. According to the hunters, these men enca- encountered the white men and an officer came forward shouting uh, the Inuit 
word for friend. And this was likely Crozier because he knew the Inuit language. Um, Gotcha. The men were given some seal meat by the Inuit hunters, but the Inuit hunters could not support that many men without starving themselves. And like I said, the game was probably not great at the time. Mm -hmm. So the Inuit hunters left so they wouldn't perish along with the white men and they returned to uh, Joe Haven. Um, Oral Inuit history also tells stories of if a lone European style ship drifting hundreds of miles south of where it was uh, or of where the last coordinates were recorded in the Victory Point uh, Cairn. Um, this mm-hmm. oral history uh, had to be very accurate because if it wasn't, it could mean death for the Inuit. Um, these stories usually told. What? Yeah. Well, because I'm not meaning like death, like they would get killed or something like I'm, I'm, meaning, oh. yeah, yeah. The oral history that they passed on has to be very, very accurate because um, these stories were usually Uh, usually told the Inuit where to get food, how to deal with different ice conditions. So it was basically vital to their survival in the Arctic. I see Yeah. So they had to be very accurate with their telling of these stories. But the British continued to write off many of the accounts um, due to being thrown off by the talk of cannibalism um, of the party, Mm. which they weren't happy about. So they decided that all of the Inuit accounts of what happened weren't valid. And so basically the Inuit oral histories would get passed down. um, But we as Western society didn't pay any mind to them for a long time. So it wasn't until the 20th century that new discoveries were made and both cleared up the complicated story of, well, they both cleared up and complicated the story of Franklin's Locks expedition and this is what we are getting into next time. Okay. So I'm going to cut us off here. Um, and we're going to get yeah. more into what the Inuit history is actually really said. And some of the really, really big discoveries that were made literally in the last couple of years. Um, and it gets really I'm excited. Interesting. Yeah, it's. Yeah, it sounds like it's going to get interesting. It's fascinating. I'm, I'm over here. Uh, yeah, I can tell. It's a good one. <laughs> I'm over here looking up uh, like Inuit people and history and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, and it's just like, it's crazy that they would write off all of that because these people have been living and surviving in these conditions for centuries, you know? Yeah. For thousands of years, you know, they, they have all of this knowledge that's so important. Um, and we're going to talk a lot more about the Inuit in the next part, um, because they're pretty integral to, um, how we find out some more about what happened to these people. So I am so interested. Yeah, it's a good one. So don't look up too much. I'll try not to Google. I was going to say, I'll try not to. (laughs) Because I know you already, I know what picture you already saw. (laughs) That was an accident. (laughs) No, exactly. You're going to have to look at it again because it's going to be in the pictures I'm going to send you. But, um, oh, and then, so page three of uh, the pictures are two artist depictions of 
um, what happened to the survivors walking across King William Island. And I just really love these artistic depictions, especially the one on the bottom, which is called Man Proposes. Yeah, man, the polar bear one. Yes. So it's a picture of two polar bears tugging at basically what looked to be human remains and the remains of maybe part of a ship. Um, There's one polar bear with a rib in his mouth and a rib cage beneath him. And it's uh, titled Man Proposes, God Disposes by Edwin Lancier in 1864. And it just, Mm -hmm. it's a very haunting painting and Likely there was some scavenging of the bodies um, by polar bears, which are other animals, which is why, yeah, which is why it's so hard to piece together what happened because there's not a lot of bodies um, to look at. So, so, uh, so wild. Spooky, spooky. I wonder if like some of their bodies is like at the bottom of the ocean up there. Maybe, maybe we just don't. Their remains like bones or something. Yeah. We, we don't, and, and you'll see when we get into the next. I know. Now I'm starting to think ahead and I'm like, I, I got to wait. <laughs> <laughs> you can't look it up. You can't look it up. Ah. All right. I'm going to uh, do. Citations? Yes. I'm going to do my citations before I forget. Um, so my citations for this episode um, was uh, what happened to the doomed Franklin expedition. These are the clues. And it's by Kieran Mulvaney um, from history.com. Um, And then another article, uh, what happened to the HMS Erebus and Terror? Um, And this is from the uh, Royal Museum's Greenwich. And then this awesome documentary, which I believe you can watch on Netflix, um, called The Hunt for the Arctic Ghost Ship. Um, And this is Channel 4, Hmm. uh, Channel 4 documentary. So those are my uh, sources for this one um and yeah so that's uh part one all right so we got some good things to look forward to i'm excited about this (laughs) yes i am i can't wait to hear the ending of it i know it's good it's good just do it in the morning so i can like sleep that night okay (laughs) i don't want it to i don't want it to be too spooky you know yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes yeah. when we do our recordings in the evenings, it's like you know too traumatic, and I'm like going to bed, and I'm like, wow, we need to watch mm-hmm. this movie. I know, <laughs> and I just live in this world all day, so I just don't care. <laughs> so good things this week. Good things this week. Should Can I go? go? I'll go. Um, okay, so go. good things this week. Um, I just spent all of yesterday painting the house because they're letting us paint. Oh, yeah. And I'm going crazy with it. (laughs) Maybe we'll do crazy, but we'll see. Um, And then um, we're going to be moved in to the new house by next weekend. And I'm really excited to get to decorate this space because it's like kind of like a blank slate that I get to work with. And I'm super excited. Yes. Yeah. I love when that happens. Yeah. I just got to get through. Just got to get through the next week. Yeah. And I actually fingers for no hurricanes. Yeah, seriously. Um I'm actually going over there today to paint as well to continue painting. So good. Yeah. That'll be fun. That's my good thing. Yeah. Well, my good thing is I don't seem to have a busy week this week. <laughs> so I think I'll maybe be able to, uh, to breathe a little bit. So that'll be nice. <laughs> yeah. Um 
Yeah, I'm going to a um, SPCA fundraising event on mm-hmm. Wednesday with mm-hmm. my hairdresser. So that'll be fun. Yeah, that's good. Sometimes it's yeah. good to take a break. I know I need one and probably won't really have one until we're, we have at least have all our stuff over there. Um, of course, we'll have to put the house together, but that's fun. For yeah, me. I like that. So yeah. No, same. I like the organizing stuff and cleaning stuff up because like, honestly, after I get off this call, I am like organizing and purging a lot of the stuff in our back room mm-hmm. and I'm cleaning the storage underneath the house so I can mm-hmm. store things down there. I'm really just like, cause the underneath of the house, like it's still like two feet of drywall is missing. Cause like they never fixed it after Irma flooded. And so like, it's just unfinished room. But yeah. like you can put stuff in it, but yeah. So I'm just going to like pretty much take pine salt to the whole place <laughs> and mop it all out and then yes. make it a little bit better. Yes. So, yes. And That's... then start storing stuff down there and our back room a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So I think we've gone on long enough. So uh... for sure, <laughs> <laughs> two hours, seven minutes. Yes. So uh, where can our listeners go find us? Mm -hmm. You can find us on our website, which I need to update this weekend as well, at Mm motherneaturalkillypodcast.com. On our Instagram, which I will be updating this weekend as well, because on Instagram, it's motherneaturalkillypodcast. On Twitter, it is M-N-W-K-Y podcast. And um, yeah, message us there, share your own story. There's also a contact form on the website what have you. Um, yeah, that's that. And then you can listen to us on Spotify podcast, Apple podcast, uh, podcast, excuse me, um, Google podcast. We use anchor for our, um, platform and you can also listen to us on anchor there. Yeah. All the podcasting platforms have us. And you can listen to us on our actual website as well. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Like you said, um, please submit your own survival stories. They don't have to be super crazy. You don't have to have eaten a person for it to make it on the podcast. <laughs> um, yeah. They can be yeah, little things cool. like uh, lived through a cat one hurricane almost going over my house or lived through getting stabbed by a lionfish and stuff like that. So and then also, if you want to help the podcast out, um, please leave a five-star review on any of those listening platforms um, because it really helps uh, push us up in the algorithm. Um, so hopefully, you know, mm-hmm. we'll reach more it people. Does. Yeah. Um, yes. All right. So let's wrap this up and okay. uh, get to more um, of the story. Until, yes. Until next time, stay safe. But most of all, stay curious, explorers. See you later. Bye.